Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Sam Willing. We're so glad you're here today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's so fun to be here. Really going to be the highlight of my day. I already know. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's start out really by you telling us what you do at Neolucan and all the pretty darn amazing work you've done around compassion. You want to just start there? Sure. So currently, so I'm the senior vice president of people and culture at Neolucan Therapeutics, which is a biotech company in Seattle. Um, I've been working actually with the company since December of 2018. Really, that was um, from just an idea and inception all the way to, and and I was working as a consultant. And then um, the company decided to go public in September of 2019, and I ended up taking a full-time role. Um, And so my, my charge there has really been to build culture and um, really try to create the kind of employee experience that um, is meaningful and different for um, for all industries, but certainly for biotech, it tends to be more of a traditional space. So it's been um, hugely challenging. I've never learned more. I don't think there's um, a more crash course kind of experience from taking a company public with eight employees and trying to build culture um, and meaningful connection during a pandemic and all of these things. So it's been, um, it's really amazing. And I'm really proud of what we have built culturally. And um, it's been really fun. And then I have this other side, the creative side of my brain, and and um, it, which is really around executive coaching, which I've done for a long time. Um, it is definitely my passion, and I I'm hedging actually on even calling it executive coaching because I do end up coaching a lot of executives, but I would say I have a particular joy and love for coaching. Um, more of that entry and mid-level career, particularly women. So I am, I just really love that, um, you know, there's this label around millennials and so many like, oh, you know, millennials are so hard to manage. I, that is my favorite subset of people to, to coach. So, um, so that's fun. And then I'm also an entrepreneur. I have a company called the Compassionate Collective, um, and it is all centered around just heart, imperfect hearts and passion and um, everything that I love and compassion. And so I've had it, um, I would say my niche now after all these years is compassion. That is sort of what everything that I do in all of my different, uh, in all the different parts of my life is centered around compassion. That's wonderful. And uh, Sam, I know that in your work uh, on compassion, you have a really important story that has to do with wooden hearts. So could you tell that story to us? Yes, I love telling this story. It is my total joy. And it's really a story that was like very much born out of um, 
just, it just totally organically. So um, I used to work with Laura Hamill during her time at Limeade. And I got to a point where I decided it was time for me to move on. And I, I left Limeade and um, I was sort of thinking about what to do. And I randomly was asked to speak at a women's conference. And at the time, I actually, um, I had been asked to speak a lot, but I normally said, no, it wasn't my favorite thing to do. I had a lot of of nerves about it, but when I I decided I was going to start saying yes to things. And so I said, yes. Um, and they gave me very little guidance. They just said, we, it's for, um, 150 women in the fight in the healthcare finance sector. And we want you to be really inspirational and speak for an hour. And the title of your talk is building your path forward. So it was like, gosh, okay, what am I going to say? And I just decided to be really vulnerable and tell my own story of the windy path that my career has taken through, you know, jobs and parenting and being a stay-at-home parent and consultant and all of these different things um, and sort of this never-ending quest for perfection, um, which we know is not a healthy quest or or reasonable. So I really just sort of bared my soul during that talk. And, and afterwards, in uh, the end of it was like finally getting to a place where I realized um perfection is is not attainable and i had high value just as i am and my stories have value and so after that talk women started um you know coming up to me some of them were very tearful saying i needed to hear that my whole career um would did you record it would you record it and i one night was sitting at home alone a rare moment alone and i just thought you know I think I should put that out. I think I should put that information out and my story out. And I decided on my couch to look at and see if there was an app to make a podcast. I'd been listening to a lot of podcasts during my free time. And there is, as you all know. And so I started just recording into my phone that night, just the story. And I broke it into four, four different, um, different segments and put it out. And it was called Imperfection Wins. And a big part of that was really just for my own, like my part of my own healing journey. And so right after I launched the first episode, um, I had, I was connected through my dad who does, he's retired and in his retirement, he does woodworking. Um, He has had a very long friendship with a man named Gary and Gary has a really difficult life, very challenging circumstances. Um, lives in poverty. My dad is sort of was always trying to help him. And so my dad started giving Gary his scrap wood. And um, my dad came over right after I launched the first episode and he handed me this little tiny wooden heart. And he said, I wanted to show you what Gary's doing right now. And he's really excited about it. And, you know, this is his first batch, so they'll get better. And I literally thought, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I'm talking about it's like beautiful because it's imperfect. And so I asked Gary, my dad, if I could start buying them from Gary. And so we started now about three and a half years ago, I started buying 10 hearts at a time from Gary. Um, I had no idea what it would turn into. I started sending them out to all of my podcast listeners, which at the time was like 20 people. Um, it did grow, but, um, and so, and people just grabbed on to the hearts. It they just there was something about the imperfect heart that they just 
came alive with and really connected with. Anyway, fast forward, there's been a lot, a long journey. Um, Gary, uh, I met Gary about four in person, about four months into our journey together. You know, he has no computer, no TV, no phone. Um, and I went and met him in person and I needless to say, I was not prepared for his living conditions. He was, his next step was homelessness. He lived in, you know, unsafe conditions, um, sort of very, um, high crime trailer park in Olympia, Washington. He had his, he, he lived in a little trailer that was really cold and, um, and they kept raising the rent, you know, as they do to try to sort of get the land and, and get people out, which is really sad. Um, anyway, he, when I met him, he just started crying and he said, I have to show you something. And he walked me through his house and there is this sparkling brand new toilet. And he goes, look, I bought this with the heart money and he's crying. And he's kept saying it wasn't charity. It wasn't charity. I did something for this. Gary's been on disability due to a career ending injury for years. It was at that moment that I realized how important the work was. And also that we needed to sell some hearts. It was like, okay, I, I have resources. I have connections. I, this is important. And so I started getting a little bolder about telling the story and putting the hearts out on social media. They started to really take off. Um, about a year in, I uh, made a commitment to Gary that I would buy 300 hearts for him from him a month. So we were able to get him stable income. We, um, about a year ago, got him into stable new housing that is his. He's a homeowner now, um, and he has an income, thanks to the hearts. Um, But this is a man, just to be clear, he was living on $811 a month. That was it. And his rent, they had raised to about $600. So... There is like, it really, this is really life changing for him. So he's in a home that has been remodeled by my contractor husband. He is in a safe place. He has his first bed in 30 years. He has a kitchen. Um, It's just so amazing, the transformation in him. And so fast forward, there's so many windy things that have happened over the last three and a half years, but fast forward to now, um, we launched a business called the Compassionate Collective. We have lots of different heart products um, and we are really excited about it. We have sold um, over 7,000 of the small hearts. And I get asked to speak um, often at corporations actually on compassionate leadership and tell the story and the different pieces of the story. Um, and we're really excited. So the transforming, I would say it's been transforming for Gary, certainly, um, but for me too. You know, I think for Gary, never in his life has he been affirmed or valued in this way, um, the confidence and the love and the ripple effect, which is really where my um, strength in my belief in compassion has come from is just, you know, the ripple effect of compassion, how contagious it is, how transformational it is for human beings. Um, 
has been amazing. And so it's just, it's really the joy of my life. And, and, and I buy 300 hearts a month and we don't sell 300 a month. So my heart, I literally have hearts around my entire house and, um, it's just the best. Sam, if I can real quick ask a question for those listening, if they wanted to buy a heart, where would they go? They would go to the compassionate collective.com. Okay. Thank you. And there's lots of different, you know, products and, um, we send them out with encouragement cards around not needing to be perfect, um, to have meaning. And, um, it's just, yeah, it's really fun. As an owner of one of those hearts, <laughs> um, there's something so symbolic about it, right? Like it just, it's it's natural, right? Because it's made out of wood and it's like you said, imperfect, but there's something so cool about just holding it and seeing it when everything we do is on our computers and, you know, it's just, it's so neat to have that. So I, I think it's so awesome, um, this idea that you've had and how you've kind of worked on it. So it's really neat. It's um, really, um, one thing that I will say that really gets people is that, that when I show them pictures of how the, the, they start. So I use the, like it is literally scrap wood, like garbage wood that people would walk by or throw away. And I just love the idea of like, haven't we all had times or moments in our life where we kind of felt like scrap, we were either being treated like scrap or we just felt like scrap. Right. And the beauty that comes like as Gary, like lovingly, like shaves down the wood and hand sands the hearts and every single one is different and unique. And it's like the graining and the imperfections in them, the cracks that make them so strong and beautiful. So yeah, it's the best. That's awesome. So Sam, tell us more about why you think compassion is so important for organizations to focus on. I believe, so when I look back at my career, I know for me, I'm wired for compassion. That is like something that's in me intrinsically. And so when I look back at my career, there's been like very pivotal points where I have realized, and at the time I didn't call it compassion. I didn't have the word for it, but there's like very pivotal times when um, like I realized that preserving someone, um, treating them with humanity, care and respect, even in the midst of terminating someone, you know, even for something egregious, right? Like preserving their humanity. Um, that is something for my whole career that I have tried to practice and have felt like it's been really a game changer in very difficult situations. But I think that Um, For me, particularly now in these times, the idea of compassion, I think one of the key things for me was the realization that, you know, several years ago, um, empathy became a buzzword, right? Like suddenly it was like every leader knew um, the word empathy and, and they all know that they should practice empathy and we know like a lot of them don't, but they all know they should, right? Like, it's like, it's a buzzword. You have to be an empathetic leader. And for me, the realization, and this partly has come through this lived experience with Gary and the hearts is like sympathy is feeling bad for someone. Empathy is feeling bad with them. But compassion, I think, is the key to making real change because compassion to me is action oriented. So I look at empathy as like the gateway to compassion. 
Because you have to, in order to compassionately act, you have to have empathy. But it's actually the action that, that changes. And so I use this analogy a lot when I'm speaking, which is you're walking down the street and you see someone trip and fall in front of you. Sympathy might be like, yikes, ooh, keep walking. Empathy might be like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for them. I can imagine how that, how that must feel. And you keep walking. And compassion is like, I can imagine how that must feel. I hope they're not hurt. Let me give you my hand and help you up. Like the action, the lift up is the only thing that actually changes their situation, right? And so for me, there's this um, belief that it's time in business. It's always been time, but it's time certainly now to stop um, feeling, stopping at feeling and take the action, right? And so there's so many ways that I see that make a real difference in business. And I think when you're thinking about employee engagement, retention, this idea of being interested in, in retaining employees for the long term, um, that compassion, the action really matters because it's really not enough just to feel. It kind of stops short of like the real value. And also without the action, you don't get the contagious ripple effect either, you know? And I think that's one thing about compassion that um, I've been so struck by is the, the contagion of it. You know, I know we talk a lot about gratitude being contagious. I think like there was a moment with Gary where um, my husband and I, we told him for Christmas, like about a year into the journey that we were gonna pay for his electricity bill. And, you know, we, we said, how much is it going to cost to, for you to have it on all the time, your heat and, and make your house warm. And he said, oh, uh, just $50. That's about what I spend. Easy decision for us to pay. We paid a hundred because we wanted him to actually be warm, right? Like not have to have to be selective around when he turned it on. So we did this. We told him he was very tearful, very grateful he has this little envelope labeled electricity money that he had been keeping and saving for his electric bill every month. He took the envelope and he gave it to his neighbor because he felt like his neighbor needed it more than him. And he now felt cared for. And then he went to his other next door neighbor and he plugged her trailer into his electricity. So they shared. This is a man with nothing. Like our intention was like, no, you really need the money. And he's like, no, I feel so compared for cared for with your compassionate action that I just want to like push it forward. And I think that that is true also in business. But again, if you stop at empathy, you miss out on all of the action, you know, and the ripple effect and the contagion of it. That's amazing. I love what you said around empathy is the gateway to compassion and that compassion is really the, the action arm of empathy, right? So it's in, it's an incomplete thought or sentence if you just stop at empathy and don't have the action-oriented aspect of what comes next. So um, I really love that. Uh, you know, as you know, this podcast is 
around a lot of different topics, especially as it pertains to positive psychology. So along with compassion, what other positive psychology tools have have been useful for you in working with uh, organizations? I would say certainly gratitude. You know, I mean, we we have woven gratitude and compassion into our culture at Neil Lucan. We have a gratitude moment every month. Um, I think gratitude is really, really important and also contagious. Um, and I would say joy. And, you know, I think about what makes us feel connected to other people. And, and we try to really practice this um, at New Lucan, but I think just in life, the celebrating people's lives. So as it pertains to work, like celebrating experiences, births, home buying, marriages, you know, um, finding new hobbies, like celebrating and finding joy in people's whole lives and really um, making it a point to appreciate those parts of people. And then I think even on the the flip side of that, um, holding space for suffering, right? So, you know, being... um, being open and willing to listen, to acknowledge when people are having a hard time or going through something difficult in their life and not um, ignoring it or or having this expectation that they keep it out, you know, of your team or your management relationship. Um, So I think those things, and then I think, you know, um, for me personally, there is a, a commitment to showing up authentically. And that has been a a long journey for me to get to a point in my career where I'm like, I'm the same. Like, I I think that people that know me would say I'm the same, like how I show up in my work and how I show up in my life and how I treat people. I don't nail it a hundred percent of the time, but I, I, I'm consistent, you know? And I think that that, um, certainly for others and how they experience you, builds trust and allows vulnerability. But even just for me, from a positive um, psychology perspective, like that consistency and knowing that I care for people consistently um, is a huge win and helps me like remember, like I'm, you know, I am, I guess it's kind of self-compassion, right? It's like, I am, I'm good. I love people. That's at the root of me. And it shows up in everything that I do. It really does. (laughs) Um, I'd love for you, Sam, tell us about your career journey. Tell us maybe about some of the sort of critical junctures you've had along the way um, that really shaped you. Oh my gosh. I've had such a windy road. So uh, I, I will, I thought of um, some really pivotal things that shaped me. And um, the first was I started my career in the hospitality industry and I thought I would be in hotels forever. So I loved hotels and restaurants. I always worked in them. I My first HR position was in the hotel industry. I worked for Starwood Hotels. I was based out of the Westin in Seattle. Um, I had a, a boss who was an HR veteran and like tough, love, serious, but really compassionate. Um, but he was tough. And one of the very first things he said to me was, listen, HR is a, there's a, there's a lot of like not great people in HR because HR is an easy profession to hide out in. 
don't be one of those people, be different. And I will never forget it. It's like, okay, be different, be different. Um, but that experience for me, I think really, um, paved the way for me. Like it's such an exercise in humility, you know, in that industry, there's such an ecosystem that makes hotels run and operate. And you have all levels. When you are in HR, you are working with the executives, you are working with the housekeeping, the janitors, the banquet people. And they have many times like complicated life situations or circumstances. I dealt with very difficult. um, There's like a level of humanity and a lot of the employee relations issues that we dealt with drug testing, all of these things. We had our entire, like the entire Seattle housekeeping uh, unions, they all went on strike. And I will never forget, like, here we are, we're in our suits, we're the, you know, executives, I wasn't an executive, but you know, we're not, we are in offices, right? We are in our suits. It was like all hands on deck. You are, everybody's cleaning hotel rooms. And that's what we did. And I just, it just gave me this like deep, deep appreciation for just all people and all work, you know? And I think that that was, I really, I love that. I want my kids to have that, you know? Um, So that was pivotal for me. I jumped to Microsoft and I jumped for the money. Well, hotel wasn't great to have a family, but I jumped for, I want to be clear. Like I didn't jump to Microsoft for passion. I jumped I jumped for the money because I couldn't believe it, right? It was like, oh my gosh, the, the hotel industry doesn't pay much. Um, but I, you know, I was there for five years and I will say I learned a ton from that experience. I would never change it. I learned a lot of um around like what happens when anxiety is a really high part of work and um, you know, politics and um, communication, but it also really strengthened me and gave me a level of professionalism that has carried me. Um, then I stayed home for several years and I really thought that was going to be my path. And then I went to work for Laura at Limeade. And I would say for me, that has been the most um, pivotal moment and time period in my career. Because when I started with Laura, you know, I, I, first of all, felt like all of the, like what I always felt intrinsically about work and people and value and engagement. Like now suddenly I was in a space where I'm like, there's real research. There's words for it. Like there, this actually is like, yes, like HR is important. It's not just policies. Right. And, um, and so that was amazing, but I think the, the real amazing part was that um, Laura, as a leader, was the first leader I'd ever encounter that I actually could just be me. It was like, Laura, you know, she, I could show up a mess because I was parenting dramatic middle schoolers. I could, you know, be honest about the, the pressures that I was having at home or the things that I, you know, was frustrated about with work. And even through all that, even in the time, through the times where I felt like, um, you know, I, when I started with Laura, I was very clear. I'm like, I I don't, I don't really have like a lot of ambition. I'm kind of like, I've done the stay home thing. I really enjoy working and like, I'm totally okay with like just this, right. Laura was always 
supportive and encouraging, like let me go part-time when I needed to, let me have flexibility for my kids. Um, And she never wavered on like being patient with me, but also being like, you know, you can do more. Like you can do, you're like really good at this. You can do more and you can do more. And I slowly started to like believe that and go, oh, okay, I think I can do more. And so that journey for me, like Laura, for me was this catalyst to go, um, you can be just who you are and authentic in your work. It does not need to be perfect and you can still do really amazing things. You can thrive. You can be promoted. You can have ambition and you don't have to carry guilt and shame around not being enough at work or not being enough at home. And so for me, it was like this journey of total um, coming into like me and who I am. And I think for me, that has led me forward to where I am now and where I am now, like many people would be like, oh, you're a senior vice president. Like from an HR perspective, you're like at the pinnacle of your career. And I think for me, um, it was never something I planned. It was never something I aspired to. And I got here and I have this opportunity um, really because I'm just being me. And I feel really, really good about that. You know, so that's been the biggest thing for me. Sam, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. That means Thank so you. much. To me. Thank you. Thank you. It's you're total say. truth. Aww. It's total truth. No, well, you're amazing. You're just amazing. So well, you know, it's it's I love that story too, not just because I think everyone has mutual admiration for Laura, but also because it's about recognizing those one or two pivotal people in your career and in your life. Um, that see you and they have a tendency to, to pull you up. They not only mentor you and, and lift you, but they also sponsor you and pull you yes. up. Um, and I think that that's, it's just a really beautiful um, story you just told about how Laura accepted you for who you are, but also give you the confidence to, to know you could, you could, you could push it if you wanted to, it's really the choice is yours. So that's, That's wonderful. I would love, I mean, you've spoken so beautifully about how your personal life philosophy does intertwine with your work. I was wondering if there are one or two uh, positive psychology tools that you use personally, whether it's to help with parenting or to help you maintain that gratitude, which, you know, I feel like everyone on January 1st says, I'm going to be grateful every day and write it down. And then it falls off by January 3rd. But what are some practices you do on a daily basis? basis perhaps, or regularly that allow you to kind of stay in this, this space? Um, I would say, let's see, I think there's probably three things that I do that have been really game-changing for me. And one of them, um, is I added this phrase into my, uh, repertoire about a year ago. And it's this considering everything I'm doing pretty great because it's like, I mean, really, if you step, step back, if I step back, it's like pandemic, tough job, you know, teenagers leaving the nest, 
sick, you know, and aging parents, like systemic racism, a war, right? You, when you look back, you step back and you're, you're like, considering all of that, I'm doing pretty great. So that's something I try and practice when I'm in the midst of like starting to feel like I'm not doing that great or I should be doing more. Um, it helps me be compassionate to myself. Uh, so that I became um, a huge journaler. So every morning I am like really consistent about getting up and sitting in the quiet. I have meditation music on. Um, I journal and I just sort of um, like streamline of consciousness, what's happening for me. And, and oftentimes that is around gratitude. And sometimes it's around suffering or questions. Um, and then I spend a little, just a few minutes at the end of that journaling, um, either like reading something that is positive or thought provoking that'll carry me through that day. Um, sometimes I just sit quietly and meditate on, you know, I do, um, um, it's, it's called Tonglen meditation, but it's like a, it's sort of like a, um, you can call it like compassionate, um, like a compassionate sort of prayer, which is just around breathing and breathing is the third thing that I would say, like, I realized that I, over the years, like I hold my breath a lot. And when I'm anxious, I hold it a lot. And it feed, it totally feeds my anxiety instead of like allowing me to release it. So I spend a lot of time trying to focus and practice just breathing. And the compassionate prayer is like breathing in the suffering and breathing out compassion. And so sometimes I just do that. And I just think of the people in my life that can use, that can use that. So I would say those are three things that when I'm really on point, they make a huge difference. <laughs> those are so good, Sam. <laughs> I was writing them down as you were talking. Um, so this has just been so great and just so grateful for your, your, you joining us today. Are there any thoughts you'd like to leave us with as we wrap this up? Um, I think for me, the biggest thing is just, I really want people to think about this, um, that compassion is an action. Like I really want them to absorb and I want people to like, think about, um, like it doesn't have to be big, right? Like the action doesn't have to be big. The action might be a smile. The action might be a greeting or a card or flowers or opening a door or offering a seat or sending an emoji. Sometimes when I have a friend that I know is struggling, like I just will send them a heart emoji. Right. It's like, you don't need to say that much. It's like, Hey, you're on my heart. I care about you, right? It can be small or it can be big and grand, but we have choices every single day to take compassionate action. And sometimes the most compassionate thing we can do is actually to not engage in an argument with someone mm. or not, you know, um, be aggressive when someone treats us poorly, right? Instead, it might look, compassion might look like stepping back and going, huh, I wonder what's going on for them and walking away, right? Like that too can be a compassionate action. And so I just, I really want people to absorb, like it's an action and it's a choice. And if we can get to the point where we are like consistently 
taking compassionate action, like it literally could change the world, like one heart to one heart to one heart to one heart. So. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Sam. I just love all this conversation and thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.